please turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. I encourage you to, to come back out this evening to Camp Good News as we have our Sunday evening service. And then also uh, next week, as I believe Phil mentioned, is Bethany 101. Bethany 101 is a great way to get to know about the church, to find out a little bit more about Bethany Community Church. And so if you're new, I encourage you to come to that. Or if uh, you're wanting to become a member. We ask people who are going to become members to go through the Bethany 101 class. And so again, that's next Sunday. It's next Sunday and the following Sunday. And it meets at the in Dave Robinson's Sunday school class, which is in the library. Uh, so I encourage you to come and be a part of that next week. Proverbs chapter 1. We are looking at Proverbs chapter 1. We began looking at it last week. We're going to return to it in a few weeks. Next week is our Sanctity of Life Sunday, and so we're going to be focusing on a different passage next week, but we'll come back to Proverbs chapter 1 in a few weeks. And then, Lord willing, we'll begin our expositional study of First John, and so I'm really looking forward to doing that together as a church, but we're still a few weeks away. But uh, this morning, we're in Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read the first nine verses with you this morning, so if you would, uh, if you're able to, stand with us in honor of God as we read his word together. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1. I'm reading from a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. You may be seated. May God encourage us this morning as we pursue wisdom. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that gives us wisdom. We pray this morning for those who are seeking wisdom that they would obtain it from you, a God who generously gives to those who ask without reproach. And so we would ask for wisdom. We ask for those who are hurting this morning that you would strengthen them, that you would, in their in their pain and their their hurt that they're going through, that they would they would receive your wisdom and, and know the path that they're to take and how they're to respond. And uh, we pray that you would be very very gracious to our church. We pray this uh, not just for our own sake. We pray this for the glory of your name. We pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking at Proverbs, and we're talking about wisdom. Uh, this last week, my daughter Hannah came to me. She, she knew we were talking about wisdom, and we were talking about the sermon. She goes, well, I have kind of a saying about wisdom. She said, uh, smartness is knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. I said, thank you, Hannah. That's very helpful. Uh, it's true, you know, there's a distinction between smartness and wisdom, and it's true that it's a wise thing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad, but 
I think she would agree and we would know that there's more to wisdom than that, right? Wisdom is, as we looked at last week, for those of you who are here, those of you, some of you exercise wisdom by staying at home, some of you exercise wisdom by coming here. Uh, as we looked at last week, wisdom is the ability to live life in, in fear and in awe of God and to, to be in these variety of circumstances and do what God would want you to do in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. That's wisdom, the ability to, to navigate the complexities of life. And this week and the next time we come together and talk about Proverbs, Lord willing, what we're going to be doing is talking about wisdom in the context of the family. Family can be a very broad term and refer to all of us in the church who are part of the family of God, and so there's certainly a sense in which all of us need wisdom in, in the family in that context. But this week and next time we come together, I'll be talking about family also in the sense of the people who live together under a roof, and particularly parents and children, and, and how they are to navigate that relationship in which God has placed them. And I think so many of us who are parents, so many of us who are children, struggle to live rightly with one another, to live wisely. And as I, I talk with people, I know that's a burden on, on so many hearts. All of us need to know how to encourage children. All of us who are part of the family of God have been entrusted with the care of the children that God has placed into our community of faith. And so we have a responsibility to know how to encourage children to live wisely. All of us who are friends with people who are parents have the responsibility to know how to encourage them, how to help them think rightly about the task of parenting. And so these are obviously things we're going to talk about that are applicable to all of us, although applicable in different ways depending upon the circumstances in which you find yourself. Before we dive into the text, let me just kind of review some things we talked about last week. We began talking about the book of Proverbs and mentioned that there are some some obstacles sometimes to understanding the book of Proverbs. One of the obstacles that we have, a, a problem that we encounter when we come to the book of Proverbs, is that sometimes as we read through the book of Proverbs, we notice that some of the Proverbs seem to contradict what we experience in life. So a proverb will say one thing in kind of a broad general statement, and then we can think of specific examples where that's not true. For example, Proverbs chapter 10, we talked about how the righteous will not go hungry. Well, all of us can think of righteous people, perhaps, who have experienced times of financial difficulty or times of hunger even. And so we think, well, hold on, if that is true, then what about this specific situation? And that's one problem we have when we come to the book of Proverbs. Another problem that we have sometimes is that the Proverbs seem to at points contradict each other. One proverb will say, work hard, and the other proverb will say, know when to rest. One proverb will say to, to pursue uh, financial security, and another proverb will say, don't worry about wealth. And so there's, there's, there's seemingly contradictory instructions coming from the book of Proverbs. In fact, uh, Proverbs 26, we talked about, a very prominent example of this. Verse 4 in Proverbs 26 will say, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then the next proverb, right after that, verse 5, says, answer a fool in his folly. And so what do you do? You've got this fool here. Do you answer him or not? There's, there's these seemingly contradictions, right? And then another problem that I think we sometimes encounter as we come to the book of Proverbs is that 
Sometimes we approach it like individualistic sayings, little individual nuggets of moralism. And so we say, okay, this, this proverb says to work hard, so I'm going to be a hard worker. And this proverb says to you know, watch what I say, so I'm going to be quiet. And so we just kind of view proverbs as like a little book of rules and moralistic sayings and moralistic preaching, and that's not what proverbs is about. Let me kind of give you just very quickly some thoughts we talked about last week that I think help us as we come to the book of Proverbs. One thought is it's important to remember that Proverbs deals with with generalities. The book of Proverbs has given us broad general statements about life and the writer of Proverbs. And by the way, when I say writer of Proverbs, I know there were writers. Solomon was the main one, but there were other people who wrote these, these Proverbs as well. But for simplicity's sake, I'm referring to the, the writer of Proverbs. But the writer of Proverbs, as he, as he talks about life, he's dealing with lots of different areas. He's talking about the workplace and home and uh, the justice system. And he's trying to give broad, general statements that will help us understand how to view those different areas of life. And so he's going to talk in these broad generalities and say, well, A is generally going to be followed by B, or in this situation you should generally do this. And so he's not trying to address every specific instance that we may ever encounter in life, but trying to give us some some broad uh, general statements to think about as we think about life. Another important thing to realize about Proverbs is that the writer of Proverbs understands that life is complex. So again, when we come to Proverbs 26 and see that in one situation, we're supposed to say something. In another situation, we're to be quiet. The writer of Proverbs isn't contradicting himself. What he's saying is that life is complex. There are paradoxes in life. There are times where the right thing will, to do will be one thing, and the right thing to do in another situation will be different. Wisdom, then, the next thing to think about, wisdom, then, is the ability to navigate the complexities of life. You can't just say, well, hey, I'm kind of an aggressive person. That's who I am, and so that's how I'm going to live my life, and other people can just kind of deal with it. Or I'm a quiet person, and I just don't like to say a lot, and so that's how I am, and other people are going to need to deal with it. Or I'm an angry person, or I'm a hard What we have to say is, look, I need to respond rightly to the various circumstances in which God places me. The wise person is going to be placed in a context in the workplace, and she's going to be able to do it wisely. And then she's going to be picked up out of that place, and she's going to be placed in a situation with her family, and she's going to be able to navigate that as well. She's going to be wise. The wise person is going to be able to be placed in a variety of different contexts, in a variety of different situations, and they're going to be able to, to handle it. How? Well, the fourth thought that is important for us to remember as we look at the book of Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing and loving God is the key to wisdom. We saw as we looked at the book of Deuteronomy that the fear and the love of the Lord is the essence of obeying the law. If you want to obey the law, well, it's not just about keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. The essence is, is loving God and, and being, in, in whatever circumstance you find yourself, being obedient to Him. The same is true when it comes to being wise. The book of Proverbs doesn't encourage us just to memorize a bunch of rules and say, okay, when I do all these different things, I'll be wise. The book of Proverbs says, look, 
The key is to fearing God, loving God. And as you find yourself in a variety of different circumstances, if, if that's your ultimate motivation to love God when you find yourself dealing with a complex situation at work or to love God when you find yourself dealing with a complex situation at home, to, to not be motivated by selfish interest, to not be motivated by fear of other people, but, but to be motivated by a fear and love of God, you're going to navigate those situations well. That's the key to wisdom. And as we talked about last week, you cannot fear and love God rightly apart from placing your faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to talk about that this morning, but Christ is the key ultimately to wisdom. So as we talk about parenting and family-eating in uh, the context of Proverbs 1, we understand that, that wisdom doesn't begin with a bunch of rules to give ourselves as children or rules to give ourselves as parents. Wisdom begins by coming to the person of Jesus Christ and placing our, our trust in him alone for our salvation, receiving a heart transformation that allows us to live life wisely. My hope is that as we look through four statements here in Proverbs chapter 1, that God would allow these statements to take deep root in your life. And that God would give you great joy in your life as you experience the blessing of obedience to God, the blessing of living a wise life. That's my prayer for us as we engage in what I believe are just some very crucial weeks in the life of our church, especially for those of you who find yourself living in the context of a family right now, especially a family with children in the home. So let's, uh, let's begin uh, here and, and open up Proverbs chapter 1. And the first thing that I want us to see in Proverbs uh, chapter 1 is that everyone needs wisdom. That's the first statement that I want you to agree with this morning as we look at the text. Everyone needs wisdom. Everyone has a need for God's wisdom. And let's look here at, at the first, uh, verse 1 and begin. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Who's Solomon and what gives him the right to talk about wisdom? Well, we know that Solomon there is the son of King David. He is the heir of David. He takes over the, the kingdom from David. In fact, uh, let me read a little bit from 1 Kings chapter 3. It tells us about Solomon's unique insight into wisdom. First Kings chapter 3, the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream and says, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon says, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David. And then it says, verse 7, And now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. Solomon looks at the task that's before him. He says, I'm incapable of doing this. I don't have the resources necessary to be able to to navigate this complex situation. There's, There's a multitude of people. I'm like a little kid who doesn't even know how to come in and out. Help me. Give me wisdom. How does the Lord answer? The Lord says, I'm doing according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. Everyone needs wisdom, and Solomon understands that. And so in in his context, in the the task that God has, has put before him, he asks God, hey, 
Lord, give me wisdom. I need this. I don't know how to navigate this situation. Then, as we look at the rest of these verses, verses 2 through 6, Solomon writes down why he's writing these Proverbs down. And as we look at the purpose that that he has for writing the book of Proverbs, again, we see this idea that everyone needs wisdom. I want to kind of walk through. There's, there's six purpose statements that I've written down here, six purposes that Solomon has in writing this. And as we look at these purposes, we see how important wisdom is and how everyone needs it. Uh, the first thing, the first purpose we see is that the purpose of writing these Proverbs down is so that people can acquire knowledge. Verse 2, he says, to know wisdom and instruction. That's knowledge. Wisdom isn't just kind of, it's not just knowledge, but it's not separate from knowledge either, right? A person who's wise has a a certain understanding, some some intellectual uh, capability, and has acquired knowledge, has acquired some understanding. It's difficult to live life when you don't know some very basic things. And all of us have been in circumstances in, in which our ignorance has been displayed, right? It's not a very pleasant feeling. I was, uh, whenever I was first married, uh, whenever Whitney and I were, were, were in the first years of marriage, um, we bought a house and uh, I was constantly worried that something I was going to do to that house was going to cause it to like catch fire or something. Like I was trying to, you know, I, I, I need to do some project in the house and I'd just kind of analyze it and be worried. I mean, what am I going to do this thing? And the reason I worried about that was because I was ignorant and I didn't know what to do. Uh, Whitney's grandfather and dad came up one time and they are very gifted handymen and they, they came up one time and our ups, they were working in the upstairs, which used to be part of an attic and part of it was still an attic, part of it had been converted and they, um, I said, well, hey, let me help. And they said, okay, uh, here's a hammer and some nails. Why don't you go put some nails in that board over there? Which I don't think was a real project, but they wanted to get me out of the way. And so I go over there and grab the nails. All right. And so I'm, I'm kind of in the attic area and I'm right by the little uh, edge of the attic that kind of you can look down and see in the, the wall from the living room. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, hammering like this and... Um, you know, you're supposed to hammer straight. I, I don't hammer very straight at the, t- at the time. I'm much better. And so I'm hammering, and lo and behold, as is, I want to do, I, I bend a nail. Okay, I got to get this nail out of this imaginary board that they want me to be nailing on. So I, I grab the hammer, and I, I try to, to take the nail out of the board, and the head pops off the hammer. I'm like, oh, man. So I put that hammer to the side. I grab a second hammer, and I put the hammer there. And I, I start, you know, trying to get that nail out. I close my eyes, and I kind of feel it start to give way, and I look look back, and the, the hammer is bent, uh, like a boomerang, and the nail is fine. Uh, so I put, okay, I've ruined a second hammer. I put that hammer down. I grab a third hammer, and I, this is late at night, and so I'm getting kind of frustrated, and I, I'm a little tired, and so I'm trying to get that, and it, it, I fumble with the hammer, and it goes, tun, 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 and it falls into the, the wall. So now, the, I, and uh, the, the hammer falls down you know, through the floor, through the, you know, into, the, into the living room. Whitney asked later, I heard some noise, but I didn't know what it was. I thought we had rats or something. No, it was an incompetent husband. Well, now it's late at night, and I get up, and I've, I've ruined three hammers, you know, and I don't even know whose hammers they are. So I get up early the next morning. I, before anyone wakes up, I go to Lowe's, and, and I, I, I buy three hammers. I come back, and I place these hammers in the kitchen table and begin having breakfast, and 
Whitney's grandpa walks in and looks at those hammers and goes, man, those, those aren't very good hammers. He goes, I'm going to show you a good hammer. Looks around. <laughs> I take the first hammer. Is this it? Uh, he goes, no, no, it's a good hammer. And so I pull, you know, a boomerang hammer. Is, it this, is this it? He goes, no, no, it's a really good hammer. I said, it might be in my wall. In the wall? Explain to him what happened. I'm not kidding. He just shook his head and walked away. Yeah. I don't enjoy that, right? You don't enjoy being looking like a fool, right? You need some knowledge. And as, as you gain knowledge and understanding, you know how to do things. And, and you, you, we've all been in situations where we felt just very ignorant. The writer of Proverbs doesn't want us to be ignorant in life. He wants us to know how to live. And, and all of us can think of examples of, of people who just... Um, it's very, very sad in our lives. We just continue to make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. The writer of Proverbs wants something different for us. The purpose is to give us knowledge. The purpose is also to help us sift through the various types of knowledge. Verse 2, uh, the second part of verse 2 says, not only to know wisdom and instruction, but the second purpose here is to understand words of insight. This means you hear these words of, of insight and you have the ability to, to discern between them. You can, can sort through the contradictions. You're going to be in a situation and one authority is going to say, hey, in this situation, do A. And another authority is going to say, no, in this situation, do B. So what do you do? Discernment requires sifting through the various types of knowledge and, and coming to a conclusion about the right way to live. Here's the challenge. The challenge is that the voices of influence in our life are so strong. We find ourselves conforming to the thought patterns of those around us so easily. There's a, a game our family has played called Wits and Wagers. and the, the way the game is played is that someone will ask a question, the, the little, little card with a question on it, they'll have a question that has a, they'll always have number answers. So, for example... A question might be, how tall is the Statue of Liberty in feet? And so you, everyone writes down a number. And then you all kind of put your answers out there, and you, you line them from largest to, or from smallest to largest. And as you look at the numbers, um, you, you see that they, they're all over the, the map. One person might say it's 10 feet tall. Another person, you know, it's 20,000 feet. And what happens, it's very interesting, is that your answer, what you ultimately decide, you, you believe the correct answer to be of those alternatives. You're influenced by what everyone else has written down. And if you see three or four answers kind of in the same area, then well, I, I'm just, I kinda, I, it's hard to go against that. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. The right answer, by the way, is 305 feet. Some of you, it's going to bother. Um, I get the emails. A wise person isn't, isn't influenced by, by, by the culture in a, in, a, in a negative way. See, our culture is a valuative process for what's true is that the culture asks, what do I feel? Uh, what do people around me think? Uh, what, uh, what do I want to be true? And, and over and over again, we see throughout redemptive history that, that the culture often gets it wrong. You know, Noah's in a culture that, that is living in a way that's, that's vastly different than what God would have them do. The Israelites come into Canaan and people are engaged in these, these sacrifices of, of children and these, these, this sexual immorality that, that God wants his people to have no part of. Uh, Jesus, as he interacts with religious people, the, the religious people often are, are, are so far off from thinking rightly about God. And, 
It's very, very hard to go against that. The writer of Proverbs wants us to have discernment. So he wants us to have knowledge. He wants us to have the ability to sift through knowledge. A third purpose here that we see is to know how to interact with others. In other words, how to apply knowledge to relationships. It says in verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. You're going to be in situations in life where you're, you're, you're interacting with someone and, and you're not sure, well, how do I treat this person fairly? Maybe you're in a situation at work and if you make one decision, it's going to harm one person. If you make another decision, it's going to harm someone else or it's going to harm you. And you're like, okay, how do, how do I deal with this person with justice, with fairness, with equity? Applying knowledge to relationships requires wisdom. Another thing we see about wisdom and the purpose here of Proverbs is his purpose is to help those who are at a disadvantage. Verse 4 says the Proverbs here are to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. To put it bluntly, Solomon is saying some of you guys aren't too bright. Some of you are young and foolish. I want to help you out. Another purpose here, then, is to help those who are already wise increase in knowledge. Verse 5 says, let the wise, those who already, these, these are people who are being contrasted with the simple, those who are already wise, want to help them hear and increase in learning, want to help them all the more, and then the one who already understands to obtain guidance. It's another purpose, to help those who are already wise increase in learning. And then finally, another purpose, the last purpose we see here, is in verse 6. To help everyone understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The last purpose there is, hey, we want to help everyone be part of the club. We want everyone to be in the, the wise club. It's a guy named Charles Bridges who was writing in the 1800s, and he made what I thought was a really good observation about what Solomon is saying here. He says in Plato's school in ancient Greece, there was, there was a, a kind of a, a saying over his, the door, the entrance to his school. It said, let no, one, let no one who is not a geometrician enter. In other words, it was exclusionary. You had to obtain a certain standard in, other, in order to come into Plato's school. Solomon's words are different. Let everybody come in. Let everyone come in and receive instruction in in how to live. So everyone needs wisdom. This is something that all of us need to, to live wise, happy, joyful lives. We need wisdom. Here's the second thing that I want us to see this morning. We talked a little bit about this last week, but what we also see here is that Everyone, number two, everyone needs to know how wisdom can be obtained. Everyone needs to know how wisdom can be obtained. Look at verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You and I need to know how wisdom can be obtained. We know we need it. Now, how do we get it? Keep your finger there in Proverbs chapter 1 and Turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament after the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Acts, Romans, and we come to the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and listen to what Paul says here about wisdom. He's talking about 
the wisdom of the world. He's talking about how the Jews and the Greeks seek signs and wisdom. And, and then he says that, that we preach something different. We preach someone different. We preach Christ. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and so forth. And then verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us what? Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. How do we obtain wisdom? How do we obtain wisdom? Not the way the world thinks, not the way the Jew thought, not the way the Greek thought. We obtain wisdom through the person of Jesus Christ. Our lives and our hearts are transformed as we come to the person of Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is the pearl of great price, the treasure beyond all worth. We turn away from everything else and we turn, we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone. And as we do that, he becomes to us our wisdom. Our standard for what is right and, and wrong is, is culminates in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. What I desire, one of my, my natural tendencies I would believe to be best, that becomes subservient to what Christ tells me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 then continues. As Paul talks about how this... this this transformation is applied in our lives. And he, he talks about how the, we now have the Spirit of God through Christ. And it says in verse 10 that the Spirit, or verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who is understand? For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The essence of wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. How can we be wise? We come to the person of Jesus Christ. Our lives are transformed and we are able to live as Proverbs instructs us to live. Therefore, Proverbs isn't just a bunch of moralistic sayings. Proverbs is a book that points us to our own inabilities to live in the complexities of life and points us to the person of Christ. So, third thing here, third thing I want us to think about, and we're not going to get to the fourth thing this morning, but here's the third thing I want us to think about. Children, children should look to their parents for wisdom. So let me, let me talk specifically to, to kids this morning and and these are helpful things for parents and those who are working with children as, or may someday be parents uh, or grandparents or whatever. These are helpful things for all of us to know. But specifically to the kids, let me kind of address some things to you guys. Uh, kids, you need to understand that you will never experience the fullness of the joy that God wants you to in life apart from listening to mom and dad. That God has, has called you to live in obedience to mom and to dad. That's what God 
desires for you. And that's what God is calling you to do to experience the fullness of joy. Now, um, understand this. A couple of things as we think about these verses, verses 8 and 9 of Proverbs 1. Understand that, first of all, your natural temptation is going to be to rebel against your parents. Your natural inclination is going to be to, to do what mom and dad don't want you to do. A second thing that I think is important for you to understand, though, is that God instructs you to resist to God instructs you that to resist their authority and to resist their guidance is foolish. Now, let me say something in a very loving way, um, kids. You're not that smart, okay? You're not that smart. Now, at one point in your life, and, and parents, you, you probably know this is true as well, at one point in your life, you realized how not that smart you were. Um, and mom and dad, or mom and or dad, or whoever that, that God has placed in that parental role in your life, they seemed like these amazing geniuses. I mean, they knew how to give you food. Uh, they knew how to tie shoes. Uh, they knew how to unlock the door and drive a car. I mean, they seemed like these mental geniuses. Um, but then you figured something out. Not only are you not that smart, mom and dad aren't always that smart either. Congratulations for some of you. The secret is out, right? Mom and dad aren't that smart all the time. And so the temptation, whenever we see weaknesses in those whom God has placed in authority over us, the, the temptation can be to, to resist that authority. Let me give you a couple thoughts here as we think about how children should look to their parents. Understand this. Um, first of all, you need to realize you are not the first kid to figure out that your parents aren't that smart. I mean, think about it. Your parents' parents are grandma and grandpa. We all know about them, right? Um, they're not that smart either. They're worse than mom and dad sometimes. I'm not speaking of my parents, of course, who are listening to this on recording in the future, um, but for some of you. Uh, also, you have to understand this, and uh, this, this is a very profound thought, I think, as you think about who you're going to listen to in life. Your parents are the only people in your life who have your best interests alone at heart. Your best friend may really care about you. Your teacher may really care about you. They may really genuinely love you. But understand this, no one in your life cares about your best interests in the same way that your mom and dad do. No one. No one is, is as invested in your success as mom and dad. Best friends will come and go. Mom and dad are invested in you for a lifetime. I can remember the first time someone said that to me. It was my dad. <laughs> he was teaching a Sunday school class and when I was in high school, and I was just kind of sitting there, and he said that. I thought, huh, that is a very true statement. I should probably change some of my thoughts about my parents. Another thing to realize is that uh, your, your parents, as you think about listening to them, and, and how to resist their authority is foolish. You know, your parents are the people who've known you better and longer than anyone else. They've, they've, they know you 
in some ways, in some ways, better than you know yourself. And they certainly know more about life in terms of experiencing life than you do. I, I love what happens here in the, in the book of Proverbs chapter 1 as, as this dad sits down with his son and describes his friendships and says, look, it, here's what's going to happen to you. If you decide to have friends like this, let me describe the future. They're going to do this, and they're going to do this. And then he comes to the, kind of toward the end there, and he says, um, but understand this, these are people who lie in wait for their own blood, verse 18. They set an ambush for their own lives. In other words, your, your soul is in danger if you hang out with these people. This dad has seen enough of life. Solomon has seen enough of life to tell his kids, look, this is where this ends up. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Even that phrase, greedy for unjust gain, a kid on on their own isn't going to go, oh, I think my friends are kind of greedy for unjust gain. But a dad comes alongside the son here and says, look, this is what they're going to do. And understand this, the heart attitude behind this is greed for unjust gain. And this takes away the life of its possessors. Those are wise words and not words that a kid is going to think of on their own. So God's word to you kids, and all of us, is to listen. God uh, tells you that your natural temptation is going to be to rebel, and he says, no, you need to understand that to to rebel, to resist their authority and guidance is foolish. And so God calls you again and again to listen and obey. Uh, I, I didn't go through all of the book of Proverbs and pull out the words that refer to listening. I just kind of I just went through the first couple of chapters and looked at kind of the beginning of the chapters mostly. And just here's a couple, and let me just give you a couple of examples. If I read every verse, it would take our entire time together that deals with listening. So listen to this. Listen. Uh, so we looked at chapter one already. Chapter two, it begins. Verse one, my son, if you receive my words. In other words, you need to listen. Chapter three, verse one, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my, my commandments. Verse one of chapter four, hero sons, a father's instructions. Chapter five, verse one, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Chapter five, verse seven, now, O sons, listen to me. Chapter six, verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandment. Chapter seven, verse one, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with me, with you. You get the idea? What do you need to do? Listen. 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 Let me give you some examples, and this is helpful, I think, both for parents and for kids. Let me give you some examples of what is not listening, okay? This is not listening. Let me describe not listening first. Um, Talking is not listening. Mom and dad are trying to give you instructions, and you're you're talking, interrupting. That's, That's not listening. That's not the type of listening that's, that's being described here. The type of listening here is attentive listening. Arguing is not listening, right? Mom and, and dad are saying something, and as they're saying something, you're thinking of the counter-argument. So they're trying to give you instruction, and you're arguing with them. They're, they're saying, hey, you need to clean your room. And you're, hey, I don't need to clean my room because of this and this and this. It's arguing. It's not listening. Getting angry is not listening. Okay, I'm, I'm listening to you, but in my heart, I'm just, oh, I'm so furious with you. And, and it's like, as you feel that anger, understand, that's not listening. You say, well, I can hear the words they're saying. No, that's not the type of listening 
that the writer of Proverbs is describing here. That's not the hard attitude of a submissive child who is honoring her or his parents. Understand that sulking is not listening. There's kind of a hard attitude of them just, woe is me, and parents don't understand, and I can't believe that God has done this to me. That's not listening. Understand that failure to obey is not listening. Mom and dad have said to do something, you hear it, choose not to do it. That's not listening. Now understand, kids, I am not saying that mom and dad are always right. I'm not saying that mom and dad have been given some sort of like supernatural ability to be perfect all the time. What I am saying, we'll talk about, we'll talk to parents in a couple weeks and you'll have some fun then. What I am saying is that, that children should look to their parents for wisdom and that means listening. And those heart attitudes do not describe a person who's genuinely listening, right? So what is listening? When you listen rightly, mom and dad feel honored. When you listen, mom's instructing you and she goes, you know what, my my child's respecting what I'm saying. If your parents feel like talking to you is a a drudgery and and, and brings no joy to them, understand this, that's that's not genuine listening. or if you see a, person, a child who's genuinely listening sees the instruction that their parents are giving them as, as valuable. Uh, instruction for the listening child isn't something you endure, okay, let's get this over with, but it's something that you treasure. Mom and dad are giving me some instruction right now, and right now, maybe I don't totally agree with it with 100%, but I know that what they're saying is what God wants me to be hearing right now, and I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to take this as as something that I, that I treasure. A child or person who's listening has the ability to articulate what mom and dad are saying. In other words, um, let's say that I'm talking to one of my children. I say, uh, um, child, and I, I always say child who I love so much. Um, child who I love so dearly, um, you have been struggling I've been letting you stay up too late, and in the mornings, you're not alert, you're not doing schoolwork well, you're irritable with other people, we're going to get you to bed early, okay? Sometimes I'll ask my children, okay, can you, can you kind of, can you articulate what I, what I just, can you repeat back to dad what I just told you? Yeah, you said I have to go to bed early. Because you don't want me to have any fun. I don't want you to have fun, but that's not what I said. Okay? It's a different issue. Let's see, can you articulate not just what I said, but why I said it? A child who's listening to mom and dad can articulate not just what they said, but they can understand why they're saying that. That gets to another thing. Listening means you understand not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. You said I had to go to bed early. No one said anything about sleeping. That's why I'm up at 11 o'clock with my light on reading, the book, reading a book. Okay. A wise child listens and understands not just the letter of the law, but they understand the heart behind what mom and dad are saying as well. It also means, listening means you, you think through how to implement what mom and dad say. Now, I already told you, sometimes Mom and dad are going to tell you something that's, that's not, that, that's incorrect. 
Sometimes it's going to be incorrect factually. Sometimes they're not going to have all the information. They're going to give you something that's incorrect. Sometimes there are going to be rare circumstances where you can't do what they've told you to do because it might violate something God has told you to do. But a wise child is going to think through, how can I take this instruction that mom and dad have given me and how can I implement it in my life? How can I be obedient to this? And this changes at different ages. Obviously, a young child doesn't have a lot of discretion. A young child, mom does say, hey, it's time to go to bed, get to bed, go to bed, turn off the lights. As children get older, the types of instruction that, that children are given and the, the degree to which they have to obey changes. A teenager, you know, you're talking to them about their, their schedule and they've got a lot of things going on at school and so a parent might say, hey, here's my, here's my counsel to you. A wise child who's going to listen thinks through, okay, how can I take these principles that mom and dad have given me and implement them in my life? What age does that stop? I don't think it does. My dad can call me up now and say, hey, Daniel, uh, I know you're doing, doing this. I kind of think that, that this might be, something else might be a really good thing for you to consider. I'm going to listen to that. Am I going to, to do it? Sometimes yes, sometimes I'm, I'm going to say, you know what, I, I don't think that's the best thing to do, but I'm certainly going to take it seriously. Make sure that I'm honoring my parents as they speak things to me. So parents, what I'd encourage you with, and I know we've been talking to kids a little bit, but, but what you need to understand is you need to, to see the signs of rebellion in your children's heart. In other words, if, if your kid is showing that they're not listening, that they're not looking to you for wisdom, and they're arguing with you. You tell them to do something. It's just this constant arguing and, and, and failure to understand what you're saying. Our temptation, my temptation as a parent can be, man, I don't want to deal with this right now. I just want to make sure I get like some sign that they heard what I said, and probably they'll obey, and then I can stop dealing with it because it takes a lot of work to parent rightly. But what we have to say is, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to do the tough things to make sure, especially as my children are younger, that they're hearing and listening with a right heart. And children, that's what you need as well. How do we do this? Again, it's not some moralistic system. It's not just a bunch of rules, you know, I listen by doing this, this, and this, and I'm done, right? It's all about the person of Jesus Christ. And by the way, what do we understand here in, in, in verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 1? Kids, we understand that, that there is blessing in obedience. Verse 9 says that your, your dad's and, and mom's teaching and instruction is like a graceful garland for your head, pendants for your neck. In other words, there's this, this beauty that's displayed in the life of a child who values mom and dad's instruction. We're going to look more at what parents are called to do next week and some things that God called, or in a few weeks. But what I want you to see is this. Wisdom is very difficult. Wisdom is not just very difficult, it's impossible. Impossible apart from God's grace being manifested in our lives. It's impossible apart from the transformation of heart that can only take place through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for our salvation as we recognize that that every other motivation in life is ultimately worthless. The pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of prestige, the pursuit even of the perfect family, all those things are as of nothing compared to the person of Jesus Christ. My motivation as a child, my motivation as a parent, my motivation in all things is the glory 
of God, living in fear and love of him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you offer to us, the wisdom you freely bestow upon us without reproach. Give us that, we beseech you. We pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen.